21. John chapter 21, it's going to be uh, the last chapter of our journey through John. Wow, huh? It's been quite the journey. And um, we're going to have this week, and then we'll finish up next week. So that's, I guess that's why I've been in a reflective mood, it, um, just to be able to br- lead God's people through a, a gospel. Uh, it's such a privilege. So grateful to be here and be able to do that. And can't believe most of you have stuck around. So, yeah, appreciate that. And if you see uh, Teresa or Juan or Addie or Ken and Carol getting start waving their arms in the back, it's not because they're being slain in the spirit. It's because there's a bee in the back somewhere. So they're probably freaking out and spotting at it. So, so if you, in case you see a bee, everyone knows, right? That's what's going on. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amen. John 21. So this is John's epilogue. This is uh, his closing remarks, his conclusion. We know that he began his gospel with the prologue, right? And we talked about that last week. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he began to demonstrate and describe to us who Jesus was. And now he's concluding his wonderful gospel. And so we're just going to read the first 14 verses today, and then we'll get into see if there's any truth that we can glean from it. So beginning in verse 1, the Word of God says this, After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, uh, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. We're coming with you, they told them. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Verse 4, when daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you will find some. And so they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciples, the one Jesus loved, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off and plunged into the sea. Verse 8 Since they were not far from land, about a hundred years away, hundred yards away, hundred years, the other disciple, there's some glare here, let's see if we can fix that. All right. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. And when they had gone out on, on land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. Bring some of the fish you have caught, Jesus told them. Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. Verse 12, come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. And none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. And this was the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's pray. Father God, we come before your throne. Lord, so thankful to be able to do so not based on our merit, not based on our religion, not based on our ethnicity, 
but based on the sole work of Jesus Christ. What an amazing gift you've given us in his sacrificial work to be justified in your eyes, to be adopted into your family, to be atoned, our sins to be atoned for, Lord. We're so grateful to be able to be reconciled to you through the shed work, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, Lord. We're so thankful for the opportunity to be able to open up your word freely this morning and to see what you've given us, how you've revealed your redemption story to us of who you are, what our problem is, and how you've rectified it through Jesus. We're so thankful that we have your inspired and errant word, Lord. And we just ask as we come before you, Lord, as we open it up, we ask that your spirit would lead, guide, and direct. That you would, through the power of the spirit, illumine our hearts to your truth. Everyone here has a different perspective and has a different need, Lord, and we we call out to you now and just ask that your spirit would work individually in the hearts of your people. And Lord, that you would be glorified in all that is said. And Lord, you would also be glorified in our actions as we take truth that we might learn today and apply it to our lives. Would you be glorified in that? We ask it in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right, so this is his conclusion, his epilogue. And it's really full circle, right? That's what an epilogue is. He's trying to, he's thinking back and all that he's recorded here in his gospel and he's kind of concluding, having some concluding thoughts here and kind of wrapping things up. And ultimately what he's doing is he's bringing things full circle yet again. He, like we talked about last week where John, uh, Thomas found Jesus to be the, his Lord and his God, right? And how John, through the inspiration of the Spirit, used the story of Thomas to, to be able to demonstrate that Jesus truly was God in the flesh. How John began his, his gospel in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He, he provides evidence to the fact, and we focused last week on the importance how Thomas had to personally come to that understanding of who Jesus was. And it is with all humanity that salvation, heaven, relationship with your God is not found in a religious system. It's not found in an ethnicity. It is found in a personal interaction, in a personal coming, personal moment where you understand your need, your sin, and your need to be forgiven of that sin, and you see Jesus as God's only means to be forgiven, to be atoned for and then to be adopted into his family. It is only through him. And everyone has to have that personal encounter. I often talk with pastors in the Bible Belt, many of you from the South, and their biggest fear is because they have a bunch of people that go to church just because it's in their culture. And you ask them, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, why are you a Christian? Why? Tell me that why. I've been going since I was a kid. Every Sunday. Or I got baptized at this age. I've been going ever since. It's just a part of the culture. And that's not the right answer. The right answer should be, I had an encounter with Jesus. The Spirit of God convicted me of my need to receive Jesus as my Savior because of my sin. I saw no way out. I saw judgment coming. And Jesus provided the way. That should be the answer. Individually. And we see that in Thomas. And so, yes, John gives us this beautiful 
prologue of in the beginning was the word, the word is with God. We all just ring it off of our, uh, out of our mouths, right? But it, what it comes down to is that knowledge. Where is that knowledge at? Is it just in your head? Or with Th- like Thomas, is it coming to your heart? Will you know Jesus as your Lord and your God? And his, in his epilogue, I, I, I see him doing the same thing. He's, he's providing actual examples of what he's already taught. He, he gives us Jesus' teaching in John 15 and John chapter 6. And then in his epilogue, he's taking things and, and showing, look, this is what Je- who Jesus is. He's risen. This is the third time I've seen him. Oh, and by the way, he's still God in the flesh, bodily risen. And he's given demonstrations of Jesus, not who he is, but how he interacts and how and what he's doing in, in his creation. And so we see that here, full circle again. So John 21, 1 through 6, we see Jesus providing a meal, right? After this, Jesus revealed him again to the, his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter. Thomas, called twin, Nathaniel from Canaan of Galilee, Zebedee's son, and, or Zebedee's, uh, Zebedee's sons, and two others of his disciples were together. Verse 3, I'm going fishing, Simon Peter said to them. So here's the disciples are hanging out near Galilee, Sea of Galilee. That's Tiberius. That's the same. It's synonymous. And they're, they're hanging out. And so what do fishermen do when they're bored? They go fishing, right? The King James translates this, I go a-fishing. Simon Peter said to them, we're coming with you, they told them. Or Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. They said, we're coming with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So here they are, professional fishermen, and they can't, they haven't caught anything, right? And when daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. You have to understand, right? It's not very often that people rise from the dead Right, and then hang around, right, and so they're they're kind of you can see from the text that they're kind of living in an awkward moment. Like Jesus has already appeared to to them a couple of times, so they know Jesus has risen from the grave. But we see in the text here that they're just it's kind of awkward. Even when they know it's Jesus, they're, they're like, you know, they they're just they just they're uncomfortable, right? Because it doesn't fit in our boxes. Human beings like to have boxes. This is life. This is how it works, right? But then when God decides to intervene supernaturally, right, it's a whole different ballgame. It becomes uncomfortable sometimes. When daybreak came, Jesus stood there on the shore, but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them. And you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. And so we see here Jesus again demonstrating his power over creation, right? The risen Savior still demonstrating his sovereign work in his creation. We see him that the the resurrection has, has changed nothing as far as who Jesus is, God in the flesh, except for that he's in his glorified body. The body that you and I, those of us that are in Jesus, are promised one day. But he, he shows us and demonstrates this. But again, John, as I, I believe, he's, he's using this experience under the inspiration of the Spirit to demonstrate something that 
John has already recorded as Jesus teaching. In John 15, Jesus says this to his disciples, John chapter 15, 1 through 5. You'll remember this. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes. Every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. There's your explanation of why we have trials in life. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Verse 4, remain in me and I in you, just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine. Neither can you unless you remain in me, right? Verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Church, I'm here to tell you, we can do nothing for the kingdom of God without Jesus Christ, without the power of the Spirit. And I believe John, under the inspiration of the Spirit, uses this opportunity to record this incident with Jesus this third time of him appearing to them as a means to demonstrate what he's already taught. Without Jesus, you can go fishing all night long. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you want to really truly catch men and women, without Jesus, it's impossible. Without the power of God, without yielding to him, walking in him, clinging to him, keeping our focus on him. It's just a social club, right? I don't want to do... Do just, I don't want to just do church. I want to be used by God. I want to be used by him for his glory to reach the lost. I want a church to impassionate, passionately carry that forward. And I believe we can succeed because it has nothing to do with our own strength. He likes taking little things because he can take little things and People can see his glory because we can't do it in our of ourselves, right? Yielding to the Spirit, knowing that we can't do anything without him. Jesus is using, I believe, this opportunity to demonstrate that. We go on here in verse 6, back in John 21. Jesus saying, cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. The disciples, the one Jesus, the disciple, the one Jesus loved, said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off and plunged into the sea, right? He wasn't waiting to have the boat go to the shore. He was going in. Here it is. Good old Peter, right? Impulsive Peter. Impulsively acting out once again, but for the right reason seeking and desiring to be close with his Lord, to be by his side. Impulsively, just as Peter is, he this says uh, his, uh, tied his outer clothing around him, so when they were fishing, and they had you know, different garments and stuff, and so when they were fishing and working in the boats, they would take some of those layers off, and so he, out of, probably out of respect, he tied those things back on before he jumped in and, and swam to the shore, plunged into the sea, 
Verse 8, since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. And when they got to the land, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish lying on it and bread. And so, again, this illustration, this story shows that without Jesus, the power of Jesus, without Jesus um, allowing them to catch fish, right, they couldn't. So what a great story for us. If we desire to be fishers of men, we have to allow Jesus, the power, to be enabled by the power of Jesus to do it. We can't do it. A church program isn't going to save people. A slick presentation, sales pitch, is not going to save people. It's the power of God. And so as we are building up to this time of this Vision 2020, we have guests coming and people watching. This is the time to pray, church, that God would indeed use this opportunity to save others. That we as a church would go out into our community and God would provide us the opportunity to speak the truth, to speak the gospel into people's lives so that God can use us to save others. That is our call. Verse 10, bring some of the fish you just caught, Jesus told them. So Simon Peter climbed up and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. And again, I think this is another full circle moment. Because we know, as Jesus called his disciples, Mark records for us how that happened. And it was the same circumstances, right? It's interesting, 153 of them. I just got to do a, a quick uh, note on that. Uh, a lot of people have turned that or tried to turn that number into something extra special. Um, and I've read and I've read, and the scripture, scripture does not dictate or show us or demonstrate to us that 153 means a specific thing. And so I, I just want to warn you that this is a, this is a good opportunity for proper uh, hermeneutics, that we never want to try to insert something or our own meaning into God's word. Um, we will allow God's word to tell us what the, what the author is trying to dictate because we know that's inspired. But for us to say 153 has a special meaning and it's because of this, but the Bible doesn't tell us so, that's not the way we should interpret the Bible. So that's a little rabbit trail, side note. Even though there were so many, the net was not torn. But the Bible does tell us here in, in um, uh, I'm sorry, verse 12, let's finish this out. Uh, verse 12, before we turn to Mark. Uh, come and have breakfast, Jesus told them. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. So here's this awkward moment, right? They're like, they know it, but the guy's risen from the dead. That, you know, they know it. But, so they're, they're just kind of, you can tell John's just trying to demonstrate to us that it's just this awkward moment. But here it is, Jesus again, right, providing a meal for them. They got to the shore, and the fish and the fire was all set up. Jesus, again, provides that meal. It reminds us of Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Here he is, taking the time to break bread with his apostles, his disciples. Again, John demonstrating to us that Jesus wants his teachings to be placed into action. John 13, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus takes this opportunity to demonstrate his love to his disciples by providing a meal. And 
that's part of the gospel too. Yes, the gospel is salvation in Jesus alone, but God commands us to love our neighbor as ourselves, or to, uh, to love our neighbor, right? And to, to love our neighbors. It's the greatest commandment. So we demonstrate our love to God by loving our neighbors. And that's part of the gospel too, the social aspect of meeting the needs of those who are in dire straits in the world is a part of the Christian work. We have hospitals and the Salvation Army, all these things that churches have built and established to, in order to help people, to demonstrate Christ's love to the world around them by helping them. And that's part of it too. That's the money that we give to North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board and uh, the state offerings, those are all monies that go towards um, uh, missionaries, yes, proclaiming the gospel, yes, establishing churches, yes, but it also goes to helping people out that are in need in tornadoes or hurricanes, you know, all those things, the, those money goes towards demonstrating God's love around them. So we're not just speaking about God's love, but we're trying to put it into action. And that's part of it, of what it means to love our neighbor as well. So he says here in verse 12, come and have breakfast. Jesus told them none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he had raised, he was raised from the dead. So again, John's making the point. Look, this, I've seen him, we've seen him three times now. I'm recording this because it's an historical fact. And we talked last week about how important it is to have the historical fact of knowing that Jesus died, yes. Raised from the grave, yes. Without Jesus' resurrection, there's no sense for us to be here right now. And so Jesus, or John uses this opportunity to demonstrate to them Look, it wasn't just this, we saw him this one time in the room. No, three different times he's recorded for us. Jesus appearing bodily to his disciples, demonstrating his supernatural gifts over nature and his creation. Of key and most importance, but he's also given us what it means to know these things. What it means to love your neighbor. Have a meal with them. Feed them, right? Take time out of our busy schedule for our neighbor or for those who are in need. What a great thing to be able to do to demonstrate God's love to those around us. But again, full circle, this is uh, not the first time Jesus uh, tells them to cast their nets, right? Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, this is Jesus calling them to the ministry. And so I just think it's just this beautiful uh, picture of this full circle of God, or John just kind of wrapping everything up. So in Mark chapter 5, we'll see uh, Jesus calling the disciples uh, here in verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of uh, the Gerasians. And as soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. And he lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him. Not, I think this might be the wrong verse. Because he often found them shackles. Oh, this is the wrong verse. I'm sorry, guys. Man. I believe it's Mark chapter 5. Yeah, that's a big mess up. I'm sorry. Mark chapter 5.
is Mark Sheffield. I'm sorry, guys. I, I messed up. I, I got the wrong verse down. Sorry about that. So there's a, an account in the Gospel of Mark where uh, Jesus encounters his disciples, and he tells them to cast out the nets. And they're, at that point, they didn't know who he was. They're like, we've been fishing all, you know, and there's no way. And so he says, do it anyway. And they did, and they, they, they cast out the nets and pulled in a bunch of fish. And at that time, the fish, the net had broken, right? And the, there was so much fish that the fit had, fish had broken, or the net had broken. And, uh, and so that's how Jesus interacted or first came into and uh, chose to, to come into contact with his disciples. And so I just think it's great that he, John's ending his thing with this, this account of Jesus doing the same thing. Hey, cast out your nets. And through his power, they're able to, to uh, uh, catch fish. Back to John chapter 6. I believe there's an also a, a connotation what, what John is doing in his conclusion, his epilogue. Uh, it just reminded me of John's t- or Jesus' teaching of him being the bread of life. The bread of life. That he provided this physical bread for them to eat there on the shore. But it just reminds us of who Jesus said he was, right? That he was the true spiritual bread, the true spiritual nourishment. John chapter 6, verses 32 through 40 says this. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. So he's talking to religious leaders at this time. He's telling them, look, Moses didn't give you that bread, but my father gave it to you. It came from heaven. He goes on to say, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven, which he's speaking of himself. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, then they said, sir, Give us this bread always, thinking in the physical sense. And then he declares himself to be the bread of life, right? I am the bread of life. Jesus told them, no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Those are the religious leaders. They're blinded to who Jesus truly is. Everyone the Father has given me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of the one, of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Yes, part of the gospel is to meet the needs, the physical needs of people. But of what's true importance is understanding that Jesus is the bread of life. That by believing and trusting in him, this is the promise Everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And there's coming the day when we will be risen up bodily, just as Jesus was. That is the gospel message. And again, we go back to John 20, 31. This is John telling us why he wrote this, right? But these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life 
in his name. And so all throughout the Gospel of John, I've, uh, at the end of the sermon, I've called to, to the church because I can't judge hearts, and so I never want to uh, just assume everyone in the room is saved. And so I've called again and again for those who, who need to have that personal encounter with Jesus to, to do so, that today could be the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation, that by believing and trusting in him, I've again and again, and I've, I've called us to that. And I pray that that has been a reality in your life, and that it's not. I pray that you would have the courage through the conviction and the power of the Spirit to understand your need and to call out to Him, to receive Him as your Savior, to repent from your sin and from uh, trying to do it your way and trusting in Jesus' accomplished work alone. It is only through Him that eternal life and believing in Him that eternal life can be yours. And so the question I pose to you, what about you first and foremost? Have you had that personal encounter or are you just relying on your Baptist affiliation? I pray that you've had that personal encounter. And if so, as we've gone through John, my question to you today is what have you, what have you learned from it? You've spent two years going through the gospel. Can you think back on these last two years? I hope you can think back and say, I've learned this from going through the gospel. Or I've learned this section of scripture that I know I can use, right? John said, I've written these things so that you may believe. If we tell people what John said, they can believe too. Do you have sections and passages in John that we've gone through that are like, oh, this might be really good for my sister or my neighbor? What have you learned from our journey through John? James tells us this, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. We've had the privilege to go through the gospel, to talk about it, to pray over it, to, to hear it, preach, and hopefully that you, the Spirit has taught you these uh, some truths here. And so my question to you this morning is, what have you learned? How is this going to help you go forward in your Christian walk? How is this going to help you in your witness to those around us? If we are able to be able to show people the word of God, the gospel of John, and show them different things, you meet someone that's had a rough life, woman at the well. You meet a religious person taken to Nicodemus. Right? So many things we can use just in this gospel alone to be able to demonstrate the good news that Jesus died was buried and was raised. Forty days later, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and all those who believe in him will have eternal life. We have some good news, church. Let's be busy about getting it out. Father, we love you and are thankful for this opportunity, God, to uh, just uh, go through this gospel, Lord, and we're grateful for the freedoms that we have to be able to do so. Um, we're thankful Lord, that uh, we have that freedom, and we just ask, God, that you would uh, continue to provide that freedom for us, Lord, that you would work sovereignly in our, in our hearts, in the hearts of the people of our country, and our leaders. We pray for them. Lord, we also ask that you would work individually in our hearts, Lord, that we would be your, your um, ambassadors, God, that you would truly empower us, that we, we see today that we can't, 
win people to the Lord in our own strength, that it has to be your work, but you, you've called us to be your vessels, Lord. And so we just ask that you would embolden us to be so. We ask that you would empower us through the Spirit, Lord, to, to preach and to, and to act out our beliefs, Lord, to those around us so that others may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. We do so for your glory. We ask these things for your glory. We ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. We're going to have a song of invitation now. Uh, Brother Jim, come forward. and.